And uh, by the answer in that description, you certainly can see uh, why we need a Savior to take away all those uh, sins and the requirements of God's law uh, against us. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, I'm only going to read till verse 5. I don't think we'll get that far today. I have some uh, time I'd like to spend in the statement, the righteous one shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own, all peoples. Now, yesterday, uh, last week, uh, last week we looked at Habakkuk's resolve uh, to wait. And uh, Mr. Pryor says, having splurged his stupefaction and trauma before God, he takes his stand to watch and wait for God's response. And uh, it's powerful words there. He splurged his stupefaction. And uh, it means that he, 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 just, he just threw it all out there, didn't he? Uh, when you splurge, you do something that's uh, ostentatious. Everybody knows, well, look at all the stuff that person is buying. In the back of the case, it was, look at all the things that he's, he's setting out there before God. But it was also uh, his trauma before God. I believe that that's a that's a good word, his trauma before God. And then he stands to watch and wait for God's response. We finished uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Pryor's uh, comments on watching and waiting, uh, that watching and waiting take time, that watching and waiting make lonely work, that watching and waiting offer an alternative option, that watching and waiting are a call for quietness, that watching and waiting require perseverance and watching and waiting imply uh, being open to correction. And so as we come to the, the new section in verse uh, 2 and 3, here is God's answer and instructions concerning uh, the vision. So Habakkuk sets himself up there. He uses the picture of a watchman on the tower. You remember uh, sections of Ezekiel talk about being the watchman. And if the watchman tells the people what's right, he's faithful. If he doesn't tell the people what's right, he, he's a, a, a bad watchman. But uh, notice, notice what he says. And the Lord answered, what does he say? The Lord answered me. Now, now why is that important? It's important because it's a direct answer to his prayer, isn't it? We 
we have answers to prayer in our prayer meeting. But we could say the same thing. We prayed for that, and the Lord, Lord answered me. Not only our church, but the Lord answered me. And, and, and this is important. Uh, he sees that now God answered him. He's talking to him. I prayed to God. I laid out my trauma. I laid out the fact that I couldn't even believe what was going on. And then in his grace and his mercy, after a period of time, God answered me. That's important. But then there's instructions to write down the vision. So the Lord says, I'm going to answer you and I'm going to tell you further what happened. But he says, I want you to write it down. And uh, the writing down is uh, to be written on tablets and it's to make this record uh, permanent. And, and the type was to be large and clear that someone who was running or someone who was in, in haste could, could read it. And then also that somebody who was just passing by could see it and then say, really, look at that message. I've got to go tell other people. Uh, a writer, Mr. Pusey, said that it may be plain to anyone, however occupied or in haste. Absolutely clear. Make this message. The vision was to be clearly understood, assimilated, preserved, and propagated. That's somebody else's words. You know I don't use the word propagated. Now, only in this, not only is the vision to be clearly understood, but everyone who reads it would consider themselves a herald. Look what's going on. Look what God's going to do. I've got to go tell other people. That is a, a note that we've seen in the other prophets. The intent of the plain message is to ensure it's rapid spread by word of mouth in the normal course of communication. Here is a message, a vision that a prophet wrote in letters so large that you it's unmistakable what it says. The content of the vision adds urgency uh, to uh, the message. And God then says uh, about the time frame. He says it's an appointed time. It awaits an appointed time, verse 3a. There's a strong picture in the language of the whole Chaldean army, in a sense, ready to be unleashed. And it's in God's appointed time, ready to be unleashed on the rest of the world. In God's providence, although the judgment was coming and was certain, other events had to take place uh, before the time was fulfilled. Uh, one of the writers says it was as if the people were confronted with a national emergency. And they were told at some time in the future, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. There's similar, similar biblical passages. Daniel, for instance, it's an appointed time at the end or God says this is yet to come. And uh, uh, we know from our studies in the prophets, God says in that day or at the end of time or this here. Or you remember some of them, it says now. He says, now this is going to happen, or it's near. Uh, the Chaldeans will begin to move uh, the moment that God appointed. If we take this to ourselves, it's helpful for us to know that nothing that's gone on, no leader who's in place, no economic crisis, nothing that's gone on ha has not been appointed by God. It, it's not chaos. 
the leaders we have are the leaders that God has appointed. You say, well, why would he do that? Well, that's, that's, our, that's a little bit of our Habakkuk coming out, isn't it? And, uh, but God talks next about the certainty of its fulfillment. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And that's interesting, isn't it? Isn't every day the same amount of time as the day before? Well, how can something be faster or slower then? You see, but the, that's the picture that God says. I'm going to do these things. And, and the, the, the wheels are already going. The, the, you can feel the, the, uh, the, the movement of it, can't you? It, it hastens. It's certain. If it seems slow, it will not delay. Second Peter 3, 9, people said, where's the Lord's coming? You've been talking about this for decades, millennia. Where's the Lord's coming? And Peter says, God doesn't count slowness as people count slowness. It's important for the Hebrews 10 passage that we'll, we'll look at. There's certain uh, fulfillment, and it is the, the picture of speed. It's going to happen fast. Uh, Pusey says, being God's truth, he speaks of it as an animate living thing. Right? We say, oh, time marches on. Right? You say, well, time went slow. Then I had kids. Well, time went slow. Then I turned 50. Time went slow. Then this and this. It never changes, but it seems like it changes. But it, he says he puts it as an animate living thing, not a dead letter, but running, hastening on its course and accomplishing on its way that for which it was sent. That's the message. And he goes on to say in some beautiful language that will remind us of the inspiration of Scripture. This indicates not a self-fulfilling prophecy, but God's own passionate commitment to fulfill what he has promised. And that's in every case not just the Chaldeans, but in our case as well. It's God's passionate commitment to fulfill what he promised towards us. Well, you say our nation is a mess. The world is a mess. We're waiting for the next pandemic. We're waiting for the next recession. We're waiting for these things. Well, God has a passionate commitment to fulfill what his, he has in store for us. For God, it is not a matter of putting his word out into the public domain and then removing himself to get on with other matters. He says, no, God watches over his word. God watches over his word. The spirit of God who inspired it, listen, lives within it and will not rest until it comes to fruition. That, that's beautiful. God's spirit is there. His spirit is in the word. It lives within it. And the word doesn't come to fruition until it comes to fruition in my heart, until God says, I've appointed this word to do all my will. That's, that's the idea. So it makes us think of inspiration, but we have to realize the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity was, was there too. The Holy Spirit who inspired it lives within it and will not rest until it comes to fruition. God's very reputation and honor are wrapped up in his promises. And that's why we can go back and say, God's been with me all these years. God has helped me all these years because it's his faithful way of fulfilling his word. And then comes 
the contrast between the proud and the righteous. And here's our word, uh, behold. And God is talking about the uh, Chaldeans, and he's going to address them in verses 4 and 5. And then, after that, comes five woes against the Chaldeans. But he says, Behold, take notice, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. There's the contrast. There's a general principle stated, first of all, in every man, woman, or child, there's either pride or faith. And every soul is either wicked or righteous. This uh, statement, or this verse, half of the verse, became a watchword of Christianity. It's the key of the whole book of Habakkuk, but it's also a, a central theme in all of Scripture. The righteous will live by faith. That, that's, that's a central theme. The description of the proud, notice, it's in his soul. It's an internal spiritual problem. His soul is puffed up and it is not upright within him. The one thing goes with the other. The man who is godly is called upright. And the person who is puffed up is not upright. The one goes with the other. Look or take notice. These two general principles concerning the proud need to be contemplated, need to be uh, thought about. In the description of the proud, we see it's a, it's a heart problem. The source of all sin was and is pride. He's puffed up. The word means swollen or bloated or filled up. The idea is that the proud man is puffed up with his thoughts concerning himself. And somebody said the goal of pride is self-glorification. My brother does a caricature of a, a gentleman that he, that he worked with. And, and, and that's exactly what the man evidently did very frequently is he boasted. And if my brother does the caricature, that's how he goes like that. Because what? There, there's the puffed up, isn't it? And he said, you would say something? And this guy would say, well, that's nothing. I remember the time this, I remember this and that and this. But it was all for his self-glorification. It was like, well, I understand what you said. But what happened to me was different. This puffed up, their thoughts concerning themselves, is self-glorification. The statement applies to all people that are proud, but the Chaldeans in particular, and the rest of the chapter will delineate their pride and, and bring these woes against them. Uh, Bruce says their souls are inflated. They lack either substance or stability, and a pinprick will make them collapse. It's an internal sickness. Jonathan Edwards says pride is the worst viper that is in the heart. It's not upright within him. There's the second description. Self-conceit leads to crookedness. The soul is the, that is dependent on itself has a twisted view of themselves 
and God. That's the thing. If I'm upright, I see myself as God says I am, not as I think I am. That's a, that's a hard lesson, isn't it? You're what God says you are. Our problem in our nation, our problem in the world, people are trying to define themselves without God. And what does it produce? Crooked. Stand up here like this. He'd say, why are you standing like that? It's crooked. How come he teaches crooked? But that's what happens. It's twisted view of themselves. Man's fight in his pride to be independent of the Lord causes his soul to be crooked. Proverbs 6, 17. Six things the Lord hates. The first one is haughty eyes. Did you ever see somebody with haughty eyes? Ever see somebody that... Just looks proud. You say, oh yeah, I know people like that. Hopefully it's not us. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Oh, our leaders are this. They're so filled with pride. They think they're doing the right. Well, you have to understand they're under the curse of God. They're under the hatred of, of God. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. That, that's, the, that's the problem with pride. You, you're shaking your fist at the wrong person. You're exalting yourself and you're not listening to what God has to say. The objects of the principle, really, there, there's three. The Chaldeans, God's answer to Habakkuk's prayer is that they're definitely coming. However, the rest of the chapter pronounces them as proud and five woes against them. So, so the fact that they're coming is bad, but God's going to deal with them, and he, he lets Habakkuk know. Secondly, the Israelites, both in Habakkuk's day and in the New Testament preaching of Paul, the Israelites with, were charged with not believing the report, either about the Chaldeans or concerning Christ. The same pride that resulted in unbelief was present in both times. The picture is that here's somebody that sees those tablets with the large, large, you know, 32 font letters. Though anybody could see it. And what did they do? No, that, that's not going to happen. They did it with all the other prophets, didn't they? So there's that potential. Everyone could read it. Each person, no matter how he rushed in their business, could see God's message. The reaction to the message was the sum of faith or pride. What do you see in those large letters? No, I'm not going to worry about it. What do you see in those large letters? I better get ready. This sounds bad. This sounds serious. I better turn to the Lord. And then also uh, to us, uh, for the purpose of our study, we are trying to learn how to react, how to live in the light of different things. For the purpose of our study, we need to reflect on the description of the proud and the one who lives by faith. We need to know that in dark times, God is still in control and all of his purposes will stand. You say, but yeah, but, but uh, you know, the economy is going to go over. This, this is going to happen. This, but, but those are all God's purposes. And, 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 that's the, and that's the point. No matter what happens, the righteous should live by faith. Note the description between puffed up and crooked and just or righteous. The righteous man is opposite of the proud. His soul is not bloated or crooked, but he lives by faith. He lives by his faith. And faith, we know, brings actions, 
Remember what God confirmed Abraham's faith after he did something. Uh, James uses the word uh, synergy. Two things came together and produced something much more powerful. His faith and his works work together. And uh, the Greek uses the word synergy. You have one ingredient and you add something else and something else happens. And what happened was that God said, you're, you're justified. Because not only you have faith, but your works back it up. Not only do you have faith, but I can see that you're walking by faith. Calvin says, true knowledge of yourself, looking at the face of God, and then you, you can walk the right way. You take what God says about you and assess it and look in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness, and then pride is worked on. It starts to go away. Once this step is taken, pride starts to vanish and faith emerges and the man comes to the end of, of himself. Encouragements for us. The, the, the scripture clearly states the difference in the relationship. Abomination, punishment, haughty eyes, God hates. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord loves the righteous. The key ingredient of the life is faith. The righteous lives by his faith. Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. And we've studied walk in our uh, times in the uh, prophets. That's my life, my walk. That's how I walk. I walk by faith. I don't look at things around me. It's difficult sometimes, right? I see everything around me and I say, what's going on? We're like Peter. Oh, can I come out? Can I come out on the water with you? Sure. Wow, that's something, isn't it? But what happened? And he started to see things. He started to see things. This is worse than I thought. This storm is worse than I thought out here. And he began to sink, and then he cried out. That's understandable in dark times. How is the faith to be shown in these troubled times, in our troubled times, in those troubled times? Receive God's answers to prayer. Uh, Habakkuk's prayer, he understood. This was a message that was clearly displayed, and it, God answered me. He told me what to do. The Chaldeans were coming. They were going to destroy the land and conquer the people. Habakkuk stood as a watchman, and, and uh, he received an answer. Secondly, uh, we rest on God's promises. We have many precious promises in the scripture to help us. Uh, but the promise was that the Chaldeans would surely come. It was coming quickly. There was an appointed time and it hastened to the end. Is, is this a promise to, to rest on? Sometimes it is. Calamity is going to come on the, on the wicked. By faith, all of God's words and ways can be trusted. We can just say, I'm just going to tr trust the Lord for this. I'm going to trust the Lord for that. And then live by faith during difficult times. This was at the core of Habakkuk's struggle. All around there was uh, violence, iniquity, contention, and injustice. And the righteous were surrounded by the wicked, he said. 
no one seems to care that there was a, a lack, uh, 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 that the law, I mean, uh, was ignored. And uh, we, we have to understand uh, that there's, there's people that um, uh, they have a malady, you might say they have spells. Well, he's generally he's healthy, but he has his spells. Well, sometimes we have spells of faith, don't we? Just like I mentioned, uh, Peter. And it's a temporary spell. It's kind of like what, uh, you know, like Asaph. The, all the wicked are around him and he, he wonders what God is doing. He says, then I went into the sanctuary. He says, I remembered their end. I remembered what was going to happen to them. And, and that helped him. But there can be temporary spells of lack of faith. And, and, then, uh, and then our faith has to receive the disciplines of a wicked society. The disciplines of a wicked society are those court decisions that we say, how could anybody ever? The disciplines of a wicked society are those pictures that are on those beer cans now. What's on the television? The, the disciplines of a wicked society are the fact that we, we have no leadership, we have no integrity. The disciplines of a wicked society is that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it wasn't this bad and it's accelerated. And even, even worse wickedness is assimilated into society as a fast, at a faster pace than ever before. The disciplines of a wicked society test our faith. No one is exempt when society crumbles in wickedness. I, I had in my notes going way back uh, to, I think, 2008, there was um, uh, some uh, murders at an Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania. And the guy got in there and let people go and then just shot up. And uh, th those type of things. That's the disciplines of a wicked society, you would say. Nobody bothers. The Amish don't bother anybody. Why would you go in and just kill a bunch of Amish kids? But there's the disciplines of a wicked society. There's things that will, will get into our hearts and we'll say, how could that possibly happen? So then faith in the, the broader uh, context. The, the passage transcends the issues of Habakkuk's day into the broader scope uh, of all those who are righteous. And that's picked up in Romans. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So here's the gospel. It comes. I believe. And then what do I do? My life goes from faith to faith. It's a process. I walk by faith. He begins the greatest treatise on faith with this statement. And as it goes on, he destroys the works of man's pride and, and brings justification. And he hammers home the point, faith is the only way to be right before God. If you know anything from Romans, you, you know that's it. So he says at the outset, this is how it is. But then he proves that there's the, you, you're done before God. Every mouth is what? It's stopped. And all the world is held accountable. How am I going to get out of this? By faith in Christ. By faith in justification. By faith in the fact that God is going to give you a righteousness of his own. 
Galatians 3, uh, 10 through 12. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Wait a minute. That means I'm cursed. I haven't followed the law 100%. That means I'm done. How am I going to get out of this? I'm guilty before God. I'm cursed. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. It's the same message. You're cursed. You're cursed. You haven't kept the law 100%. But it's evident, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. The law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them will live in them. You want to you wanna be a law keeper? Go ahead. You're cursed. You want to live by faith? Look to the cross. Look to Christ. That's the point in Galatians. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 10. And this is the next time that this is used. And I'd like us to turn there. We'll probably uh, finish our time in Hebrews 10. Uh, maybe if I'm less wordy, we'll be. But, but just to note some features and to apply it to our day. Hebrews 10, the whole argument goes to the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. And he wraps it up in chapter 10, verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Christ's sacrifice covers everything. And now, in Hebrews, he starts the practical section. And then he says, therefore, brothers, since... He's going to apply the whole thing. And we saw the pattern in Hebrews, right? Lays out a doctrine, lays out a warning, lays out this is what you should do. Lays out a doctrine, lays out a warning, says this is what you should do. Now, in that section, he gets everybody together. There's three statements that are cohortatory. He says, let us. Because of these things, therefore, brothers, since. And he talks about the new and living way and, and Christ and, and the full assurance of faith. And then he says, let us draw near. Verse 22, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. There's faith. Uh, then he says, verse 23, let us, all of us, Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what? Faithful. So God says, you have faith because I have faith. I'm faithful to you. You have faith to me. And then the third one is, is special. Uh, uh, just a, a little further down. 20, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So what's the third part? The, the third part is you and I are working together. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us stir up one another. My perseverance in the Christian faith partly depends on you. Right? Let us consider how to stir up one another. 
in the context of what? Meeting together, getting together. So that's good. He, he, he sets the whole thing. And then he comes up with our first point, really, in 26 to 31, which is the worst case. The worst case. Some people don't assemble together. Some people don't draw near. Some people don't hold fast to confession. And verse 26 says, if we go on sinning deliberately, and he goes back to the warning like chapter 6. You remember he, chapter 6, he says, you've been a Christian so long, you should be teaching other people, but you're not. And I have to go back to the basic, basic things and tell you them all over again. And the danger is, it's like a field that takes up all this rain and rain and rain, and it should prosper, but it doesn't bring forth anything. And this is the same thing. This is the, this is the worst case. What happens? Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? And then he brings in the passage, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He piles it up. The worst case that you could do after he spent 10 chapters and a half explaining to you how perfect the sacrifice of Christ was is for you to say, I'm not really that interested. I don't think I really have to get together all the time. I don't really think that I have to do this all the time. And I don't know what's so special about the blood of Christ. And what happens? There's a fearful expectation. Vengeance, God says. Judged. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's amazing. Outrage the spirit. But then comes the best case. Verse 32 to 39. Now, is it really the best case? Uh, we'll, we'll see. He says, he, he says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured. Oh, good. Enlightened. But what does he say next? You endured a hard struggle. You were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. You were partners with those people who were ill-treated. You had compassion on those who were in prison, right? Oh, 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 where's your friend that used to hang out with? Oh, he's in prison for being a Christian. Are you a Christian too? <laughs> what are you going to say? You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, uh, but then he says you have a better and abiding possession. But what if that was the message to us? Let's say it's Habakkuk's time. Let's say somebody here is a prophet. And they come and they say, I just want to tell you what the Lord's going to do. If you become a Christian, you're going to endure, to endure a hard struggle of suffering. If you become a Christian, you could be publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. If you become a Christian, you, you'll just be partners with people that are treated like garbage. And you might have compassion on people who are in prison, but you could end up there yourself. And... Uh, People are just going to come and take your stuff. What if that was Habakkuk's message to us? What if he said, what if we said, Lord, why are all these bad things happening? And he said, well, this is what's going to happen. 
Well, it, it, it's real because he's taking things that were going on right then and there. This, he's not making stuff up. This was really happening. It, it, it's a challenge to me every time that I read it. Could I see somebody persecute me for Christians, run into my house, say, we hate Christians, we're going to beat you up and take your stuff. If you tell anybody, we'll come back. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I got faith in God. Don't worry. That was really happening. What if that was Habakkuk's message to us? I'm going to do a work in your days that you wouldn't believe. But what, is, what does the writer say? Don't throw away your confidence. There's a great reward. Continue to do God's will. And you receive the promise. And then, here it is again. Here's another, therefore, another for. For, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. There's the verses that we looked at in Habakkuk, is it not? God says it's hastening. It's not slow, it's coming. This is my appointed thing. But notice the difference. The coming one will come and not delay. It's not the Chaldeans, it's Christ's second coming. So he says, all this is going to happen to you. The Chaldeans are coming, and they're coming in my appointed time. Christians are going to be persecuted, but Christ is coming again in my appointed time. And that's my encouragement. God's purposes are always working. Well, you say, well, it hasn't happened for a long time. We could still face a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's exactly true. And the but. But my righteous one shall live by faith. That's still the answer, isn't it? Well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about those people that were thrown in prison? My righteous one will live by faith. What about the guys that got their goods plundered? That's not fair. My righteous one will live by faith. What about the fact that I have a hard struggle with suffering? My righteous one will live by faith. It's the same thing. That, that, that's why it's put here. Right in the middle of Old Testament revelation and right at the end of the greatest revelation of the salvation that we possess in Jesus Christ. What does it say? Every sin, gone. Conscience, freed from all the sins that I could think about. The salvation, perfect. And where is he? He ever lives to make intercession for us. How far can I go? I can go all the way to the throne of grace. I can go all the way into the inner court as it was. I can go someplace that no Jew ever could go because of the blood of Christ. And I can find what? Grace to help in time of need. That's, that's the idea. So in Habakkuk, it's just a, a temporal punishment of the Jews. In, in, uh, in Hebrews, he's taken the, the most perfect, beautiful, glorious thing and saying that should be your hope in, in, in all this difficulty, in all this trouble. And, and the answer is still the same. My righteous one uh, shall live by his faith. Then he says, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And that's the message of the prophets. But then he says, we're not shrinkers. That's the end. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so this, this sets up 
the worst case, the best case, and then the case studies. Because what comes next? Hebrews chapter 11. So you start saying, well, wait a minute. Well, how am I going to get through all this? How am I going to persevere? How am I going to uh, accept all the things that went on? And he says, I'll give you a few examples. Abraham, Moses, patriarchs, this person, that person, this person, that person. And, and what's the two words that are repeated over and over in Hebrews chapter 11? A little louder. By faith. By faith. By faith. You, you see, if, if I had excuses, it just got kicked out from under me, didn't it? Because the challenge is that they did it too. And the end is worse than the beginning, isn't it? Oh, they were burned with fire. They were sawn in two. This happened to that happened. Oh, I think I'll just go back to the Abraham part and the Moses part. I'll stick with that. I don't want to get sawn in two or burned or this or that. Thrown out. By faith, by faith, uh, by faith. Well, brethren, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to live by faith. We see this call. We see the answer to your prayer. We see that Habakkuk looks it straight in the eye. We know that uh, he has expressed trouble of soul. And we do know, Lord, that we have those temporary spells in our own faith. We pray that you would have mercy on us for that. We pray that you would encourage us by your word, your promises, and especially that you would encourage us by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would be able to uh, stand in faith and withstand uh, the darts of the evil one and all the wickedness that goes on around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.